Um, if you've been joining us, I'm sure you know we are studying uh, prayer uh, from Jesus. We're studying the eight recorded prayers that the Bible gives us that Jesus prayed. Uh, we know he prayed more than that, obviously, but these are the ones that the, that the authors of the Gospels chose to write down. These are the ones that they felt were really important for us to hear. And so we've been kind of eavesdropping on Jesus' prayers to see what we can learn from uh, maybe the master of prayer. Um, we've been praying, uh, we've had homework every week, so we've, we started week one praying the daily offices, so we, we set an alarm for 6, 9, noon, 3, 6, and 9, and uh, to remind us just to take a minute, just a second uh, out of our day um, to just kind of draw God into the moment, um, even if it's just, uh, just a really short uh, prayer. And over the last two weeks, um, we've been kind of shaping the daily offices a little bit and, and assigning particular things to pray at particular times. Um, and so basically what we've been doing is, is learning to overlay our day with the Lord's Prayer. So uh, we take an element of the Lord's Prayer and lay it into the daily offices at 9, noon, 3, 6, and 9 uh, to, to kind of learn to work the Lord's Prayer into our day. Um, and 60 seconds. I mean, it's they're, they, they don't, I'm not asking you six times a day to stop and, and really dig in. This is just to, for a minute, bring God into your moment. We've kind of broken the Lord's Prayer down into three types of prayer, upward, outward, and inward. Um, we've been thinking of the Lord's Prayer in terms of these three types. So at 9 a.m., we've been praying an upward prayer, which just means something one-directional from us to God. We tell God how amazing he is uh, and, uh, and it's awesome if we can find some of that moment to kind of express our love for God. But if not, it's just, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just, just uh, an upward prayer telling God how awesome he is. Um, and then at noon, we've been praying an outward prayer. This is when we ask for something. It's awesome if you, I've had to just kind of create a short list that I have on my phone so that at noon I can just hit those things real fast, ask for stuff that that we need, and this is about the outward stuff, the stuff that's out there that we would really like for God to move in here. Um, money, a job, healing, wisdom, protection, food, more of God's presence, something we don't currently have that, we would, that we're asking, something out there that we're asking him to bring to us. It's when we ask for things. We're doing that at noon. Um, and if you don't have time to really dig into a list, give us this day our daily bread. It's a real simple prayer at noon you can throw out. God, give me today the things that I need. The, the, and, and lean into the us part. The Lord's Prayer is plural. Um, so give us this day our daily bread. Even those people who currently don't have daily bread, by saying us and our, we're including them. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, then we pray uh, upward again at 3. Um, and then at 6 on your drive home or any time you have a minute at the end of the day, take maybe five minutes um, to just kind of unwind and stop and pray an inward prayer. This is when we go inward with God and say, God, search my heart. How was my day? How did I do? What was expected of me a day? Did I accomplish it? Did I do well? What can I do better? Um, so we pray that inward prayer. We turn inside. Last week we dug into um, uh, how to make a true confession from John 17 where, where Jesus kind of makes his uh, confession. And uh, he takes time to, to say, God, I came and did everything you asked me to do. And, and I accomplished the goal. Now I'm coming back to you. Um, ours confessions don't usually sound like that. Ours go, I did some of what you asked me to do, and some I didn't. So 
forgive me the things that I failed. And, and, uh, but this takes a little bit of time. And Jesus, this is his longest and fullest prayer. Uh, but um, Jesus' confession um, in John 17 kind of guides us in how we can do it. And uh, I know uh, uh, for me, um, you know, sometimes I don't have time to lay out a full confession. Jesus gave it to us in the form of, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, it's, it's a quick confession if you don't have time. But if you can, man, take a minute and, uh, and process your day um, with God, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and we've been trying to do that at 6 o'clock. And then at 9 o'clock we pray another upward prayer. You know, and then if you pray, you know, before and after bed, um, those, are, those are, uh, are kind of outside of the, the daily offices. So at 9 p.m. we pray upward, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. Or no, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We, we end again with praise um, to God. So we're praying upward, outward, upward, inward, outward. <laughs> uh, we, we, we put some praise to God in between all of our other prayers at 9, noon, 3, 6, and 9. And in so doing, we're taking, maybe it totally adds up to five minutes, maybe ten minutes out of your entire day to pray, but those minutes are building the Lord's Prayer into our daily practices. Um, and uh, I've been doing this. I started when everybody else um, started. Actually, I had a week like head start because I knew I was going to put it in. So I had a little bit of a head start. But that first week felt like, you know, it was pretty empty. It was just kind of rattling through words when the clock went off, uh, if I'm honest. Um, and uh, But I did start to notice that even uh, when I'm doing church work and I'm studying the Bible, there's, there's something different about stopping for one second and going, where's God? Like, uh, ah, there, yeah, I'm, I recognize his presence again. Uh, and so it's, it, it did start to kind of change my awareness of God's presence for me to, uh, 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 for me to stop for one second and, and kind of recenter my mind on God. Like the alarm would go off and I'd be like, oh, whoa, I need to talk to God for a second, you know. And it's the things you think you do regularly, but when an alarm reminds you to, suddenly you realize you don't do it as much as you do. Um, Like, have you ever been in a room alone and then you're working or something, and then you look up and somebody else is in the room with you that you didn't know about, and and it kind of spooks you, even though they didn't go boo, you're like, whoa, man, I didn't know you were there, holy cow. But then from then on, you work totally differently because they're in the room. You know what I mean? Even though nothing's changed, you just suddenly you're aware of their presence. That's what it's felt like to me when the daily offices kind of go off. I'm like, oh, that's right. God's in the room. Like, and, it, and it just kind of redraws my awareness. So even when I don't have time to pray a long prayer, even when I just have to kind of roll through the Lord's Prayer, it still changes the moment somehow to, to bring ourselves back to an awareness of God's presence. Well, then... Over the next couple of weeks, as, I, as we shape the Lord's Prayer a little bit into our day, um, uh, I, I found for me that the processing prayer um, was actually the easiest and most uh, and deepest for me. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have no trouble at the end of the day stopping to process their day, but I don't naturally do that. Um, I'm easily distractible and, and usually... Uh, don't stop to think until something makes me do it. And so to stop for, for just a few minutes and go, how did I do today? What was my day like? Uh, has been like incredibly fruitful for me. So if you're walking this with us, I'm sure each of you have uh, different things that have jumped out at you about this, uh, this process of praying the daily offices. And I'd love to hear that. Text me 
email me, throw it out on Facebook. Do something to let me know if you're getting anything out of these prayer practices because uh, um, I think my favorite one is, is I've heard from like four different people who have been doing this with their kids. And, you know, throughout the day, the alarm will go off and they'll go, oh, prayer time. Like the kids just hear the alarm and just know. And I'm like, that just melts my heart. That is amazing um, to have kids that are learning to become aware of prayer throughout their day. What a great thing to put in them. Well, I won't recap each week of the study um, because if you haven't been here, I really think you should go back and listen to the series. It's, it's pretty important. Um, but last week we did introduce the idea of an inward prayer or a processing prayer or a confession, um, if you will. And I'd, I'd love to re-preach that whole message because I think it's so important and it's something we don't do often enough. But honestly, um, go and listen to that because it's a great discipline. But this week we're going to continue with the inner prayer by looking at three different inward prayers that Jesus prays. Um, an inward prayer, uh, you know, the, is when we kind of go into our own guts and say, you know, God, come meet me here in where I'm truly me. This is the, the part of the iceberg that's under the surface that nobody sees. You know, come in and meet me here. Um, the prayers we're going to look at today are fairly familiar. And honestly, they deserve sermons of their own. This was a tough sermon because... We could have, I could have unpacked any one of these for a whole series, but, um, but I think when we do them right, they, they require us to go inward, which is what we're truly trying to do here. These prayers take place in your guts. These are not brain prayers. These are gut prayers, and, uh, and they're deep prayers, and they require some processing. So we're going to dive in. The first one we're going to look at is from Mark 15, and it goes like this. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus prays this prayer in his darkest hour. Uh, And in my opinion, this has maybe, for my life, been Jesus' most helpful prayer. And it's what we call the prayer of lament. If you were with us last summer, kind of right before we moved into this building, um, I spent quite a bit of time, five weeks, talking about this ancient practice of lament um, that is both uh, of value to God's people, but also uh, kind of highly misunderstood and overlooked today. A full third of the psalms in the Bible are psalms of lament, um, where the psalmist kind of processes and dumps their doubts, their angers, their loneliness, their fear, their disappointment with God on God, dumps all of that on God. Um, and the true beauty of lament, at least the way it happens in the Bible, is that it, it shatters a lot of our myths about what prayer is. Um, for instance, we have this idea that prayer needs to be positive, right? Like usually when we pray, we, um, we, we've picked up somewhere that that means that we have to be optimistic and, and positive when we pray. But a lament reminds us that prayer doesn't have to be positive. It has to be honest. Prayer needs to be honest. So we often think of prayers that sound like this. Father, I know that it's your will for me to be healed because you're a good God and you love your children. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer. That's an honest prayer. I believe that prayer. That's a, that's a very real prayer. And in, and in, in parts of my brain, I, I believe that to be 100% true. But the problem is that's not always what we feel, Right? That's not what we feel in our guts sometimes. Sometimes what we feel sounds more like, my God, my God, 
Why have you abandoned me? And Jesus reminds us that that prayer is okay. I mean, if prayer is going to be anything, it should be honest. If you and I were in a relationship, the last thing I would want you to do is to always tell me what you think I want to hear. That's not relationship. Relationships have to have honesty. And a relationship with God is no different. It has to be honest. Around 28 years ago, um, I was still fairly new to following Jesus. And uh, Esther and I had just gotten married. And I was working on this car that, uh, that Esther had when we got married, this Toyota Tercel. And it's 100 degrees outside, and, and I, had to, I was trying to replace the door, and I had, I had taken the hinges off, and I had kind of set the door back in for a minute, and it, it latched, and I, I cannot get it to unlatch no matter what I try. And I'm inside the car. I'm raining sweat. It's probably 120 inside this car, and, and I'm, I'm pushing. The hinges are loose, but I'm afraid I'm going to break the mechanism that latches it. So I'm trying to figure out how to get the thing how to get the thing unlatched, and it, it won't come off. And by this point, I am just like cussing mad. I'm furious, and I decided to stop and pray, and it went something like, God, I have absolutely zero faith you're even listening to me right now, and I don't even know if you're there, but if you're just in the mood to give me a kiss, those are the words I choose. If you're just in the mood to give me a kiss, would you please take this freaking door off? Don't think I said freaking, but I... Uh, and so I kind of breathed, and I picked my screwdriver back up because I was trying to pry open the lever. And I kid you not, I touched the door with the screwdriver, and it fell off the car. And I just, like, froze. Like, it was like a sacred moment. Like, oh, I just talked like that to God. Like, what is wrong with me? And, uh, but it was probably my most honest prayer ever. Like, it, it, it came from my, like, inner guts and God um, answered. He met me in that moment. It was probably one of the most powerful experiences of God's presence I've ever felt. But, uh, but honesty, we have to have honesty with God. Have you ever been confronted with, with somebody, um, a non-believer, and they kind of have that big question that if, if God is good and he's all-powerful, then why is, does he allow so much evil? You guys ever wrestled with that question? Why is good God so, if he, if he can fix anything and they're still evil, then, you know, the old thing goes, he's either good and not powerful or he's powerful and not good. He can't be both and there still be evil, you know. And, and have you ever felt obligated to answer that question for somebody when they're wrestling with it? And you're like, well, you have to understand, like, like we somehow have to defend God in that moment. What's ironic is in the Old Testament, um, it wasn't the non-believers asking this question. It was the believers. Listen to this. It says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry out, but you do not come to save. Must I see these evil deeds? Must I, uh, why must I watch all this miser- misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Get off Facebook. The law has become paralyzed, and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has been perverted. And this is one of God's prophets. This is like one of the good guys. This is one of the people who is probably closest to God in that moment. And he's the one going, why is there so much evil? This doesn't make any sense, God. Where are you? Why are you not answering? What's funny today is we feel like we have to be positive all the time. Like when people are asking, you know, if your God is there, why is there so much evil? Our answer should be, yeah, I wonder that too. It drives me crazy. In the Bible, it's the people of God who are being honest. 
with their frustrations. We call that lament. In the scripture, uh, it's the most faithful people of God who ask the tough questions. But the difference is they do it with God. They don't sit out here complaining about it. But they go to God and go, God, why are you not showing up? I know you're powerful. Why is there so much evil? And they process all of that with God, which is the beauty of lament as we do it with God. I don't know where we picked up the notion that faith equals positivity and optimism, but the Bible is full of faithful people who were honest with their pain and their confusion. And they would lament. And this includes Jesus. On the cross, Jesus cries this guttural cry from his guts. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And that's why we're here today, to learn from the Master how we lament. And I could and probably should um, spend way more time talking about lament. I think it's really important to learn how to process our emotions with God. Um, It's something I feel like we've gotten away from. But like I said, I spent five weeks last June. um, So if you want to go back and dig into the archives, uh, it's back there. Um, But I really do want to pick up kind of this master twist on prayer from Jesus' lament. um, That is, uh, and that is to lament biblically. Lament biblically. Uh, What I mean by that is seek and find some great Bible laments and uh, that are close to your situation and and read those. Let those be your lament. I love this passage um, from Habakkuk that I read a few minutes ago. Um, but I also love when the angel comes to Gideon and the angel is like, Gideon, you're a, you're a mighty warrior. God is with you. And Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Have you ever asked that question? Where's all the miracles that happen in the Bible? Why didn't that happen anymore? Isn't it great to know there's someone in the Bible who prayed that same prayer? Like, like we're like, if all this stuff happens, why didn't it happen today? There was people back then asking the same questions. If, if all this stuff happened for our ancestors, why are they not happening for me? And then they started to happen for Gideon, which I love. So I love that when I'm feeling that, when I'm feeling like, where are all those, you know, I don't have to be embarrassed about that question because God gave us people who asked the same question. Eugene Peterson is one of my favorite uh, teachers on the power of the Psalms, and uh, he personally doesn't like it when we write worship music off the Psalms. Uh, And when asked why, he said, because I've yet to hear a songwriter write a song about the Psalms where where people were screaming at God in anger, or when people were begging God to bust the teeth of, of their enemies, like and break their enemy's arm. I haven't heard a worship song about that yet. And when we, when we turn the psalms into worship music, we have a tendency to, to cleanse them and take out some of that uglier stuff we, we don't really know what to do with. And Peterson is like, that stuff's really important because we feel that stuff. Like in, and we have examples in the scripture of people who not only felt it, but they talked to God about it. They didn't hide it. They, they lamented. On the cross, Jesus chose Psalms 22. To, 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 to lament biblically. Psalms 22 opens with the words, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And so in his darkest moment, when Jesus is feeling more loneliness than he'd ever felt, he had been betrayed and beaten and abused and made fun of and denied by his closest friend and crucified. And he's hanging there on the cross and he turns to the scripture to find a lament. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He sings Psalms 22 into the darkness. 
You know those little scripture promise books? Have you ever seen those? Those little things that are full of a promise for every situation? I would love to have a little leather-bound lament book. Like when you're feeling dark and grumpy, you can just look up your situation and, and you know, money's tight and you're like, I need, like I'm anger hearts need to be honest. Which is why we put lament as an inward prayer because these are the prayers when you go in and of course we ask for stuff in lament. You know, we're begging for God to save us. It's not like laments aren't also outward prayers, but this is going into the darkness, to the things that really frustrate us and, and really confuse us and walking that with God. Most laments in the Psalms have some upward prayers. that They usually come back to, but I know you're good, God, and they come back to an upward place. But the core of a lament is to face and share what's inside. And when Jesus hit that kind of moment, he turned to the Bible and he found a lament. He wrapped his pain and loneliness in the words of Scripture straight from Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So the first type of processing prayer we learn from Jesus is the lament, and it's super important. And the second one is way more fun, Thanksgiving. We're going to eavesdrop on Jesus from Luke 10 which reads like this. At the same time, Jesus was filled with joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Now, this is a really fun prayer because it seems spontaneous. It seems like it just kind of comes bursting out of Jesus, which I really like. But we do have to set it up just a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to read it to save some time because it's a little bit of a long chapter, but what happens here is Jesus sends out his disciples on their own for the first time. He kind of pairs them up and he gives them uh, what we call the evangelical discourse or, uh, or the missional discourse where he gives them kind of some ground rules and here's what you do and here's how you do it. And he, and he sends them out for the very first time by themselves to, to preach the kingdom of God in his name. And they, and they go out. And then there's this funny break, and it almost seems like Jesus is there alone, uh, and, and it seems like his disciples are, are out. And, uh, and he looks over some, some of the cities. I'm assuming it was some of the cities he had sent his uh, disciples into. And he, and he kind of laments about them, I mean, because they're Jewish cities. It's, it's Chorazin, Bethsaida, uh, uh, Capernaum. These are cities in Galilee where Jesus spent the majority of his time. And they had rejected him. They're full of religious leaders and, and people who are studying the scripture, looking for the Messiah. And they've just watched Jesus feed thousands. They've watched him heal the sick. They've watched him uh, cleanse lepers and, and, and cast out demons. They've watched him do all these things. And they still rejected him. And, and Jesus is, is kind of looking out over these cities and they were actively waiting for the Messiah and they had just missed it. And he kind of laments that loss. He's like, woe unto you cities that, that, uh, that missed it. Like if, if, if I had gone to these pagan cities and they'd seen the kind of stuff you just saw, they would have, they would have followed me. And here you guys are God's people and, and you missed it. And, and, he's, and so there's this couple verses where he's, he's lamenting. So he sends out his disciples and then while he's alone, once they leave and he's alone, he kind of laments the situation. And while he's doing it, um, it seems like uh, his uh, kind of ragamuffin bunch of disciples 
uh, fishermen and tax collectors and the like kind of come strolling back in and they're super excited. You know, they're, they're like, oh, you're not going to believe what just happened, you know, while we were out. And, uh, and Jesus is faced with this amazing juxtaposition. Here are these cities full of faithful Jews and religious leaders who just missed it. And in roll this goofy bunch of nobodies, these misfits, who are suddenly wielding the power of God. And it's like you can almost hear laughter in Jesus' voice when he says, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Like he, he sees the, the people who should have gotten it and, and the people who did get it. And obviously I could, could and probably should spend an entire series on Thanksgiving. We probably need to do that. I can't think of a more powerful tool in the hands of believers than gratitude. Um, so I beg you to find some good material on cultivating an attitude of gratitude. I really think it changes everything. But for today's purpose, we're looking at the, this prayer of gratitude as it serves as an inward processing prayer. And more specifically, what we can learn from the way Jesus did it himself. And I put this prayer in the order I did because... You know, after lament, lament, I think, comes first because it feels like Jesus pulled thanksgiving out of lament here. When the disciples walk up, Jesus is kind of in a heavy place. You know, he's lamenting over these three cities. And it it reads like this. I'm just going to read a little piece of it. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, Their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon are better off in the judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you'll go down to the place of the dead. Jesus is not in his happy place when they walk up. The disciples come in, he's kind of in this dark place. But in that, he finds something to be grateful for. And that's kind of our master twist for this prayer is that if we want to learn to pray the prayer of gratitude like Jesus did, we have to find something to be thankful for. I know that sounds simple and, and basic, but it's, it's not. I consider this the real prayer of thanksgiving is a processing prayer. It isn't just like when we overflow with gratitude. That, that's easy. Most of those are upward prayers. When you see an awesome sunset or when you get blessed with money you weren't expecting and, and you're just so grateful, that, that's a good thing. Of course, it's awesome to be grateful when those things happen, but, but everybody's grateful when those things happen. You know, even non-believers, when good things happen, just have this bizarre gratitude that something good happened. I think Jesus was really bummed in this moment. He was bummed over the, the, the fate of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. But in that, he recognized God's sovereign hand in choosing to do it the way he did. And he he turned it into gratitude. Thank you, Father, that your plan doesn't depend on things going the way I think they should go. Thank you that things don't have to, to go, you know, as planned in order for you to work. It sure seemed like these cities should have accepted the Messiah. And, and, and Israel then just rolls on, shining the light of, of heaven. But I thank you, you don't need things to go as planned to be awesome. Because you can take a ragamuffin bunch of guys who like to fish 
and change the world. Thank you, God, that, that it doesn't have to go according to my plan. Jesus pulled thanksgiving out of the darkness. I think this is the real power of thanksgiving. Everyone's thankful when good things happen. But when things are dark, when you have to put forth some effort to be grateful, when you have to really process what's going on in your life and hunt for that gratitude, that's when gratitude changes us. We lament with the help of Scripture. We hunt for gratitude until we find it. And the third prayer is maybe the toughest prayer yet. And it's from John 12. It says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. He's taught, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. I think this is the highest form of prayer that we could pray. Jesus is talking to his disciples about prayer, and you can hear the struggle in the words. How do I even pray right now? What do I even ask for? This is the reason I came. And then all of a sudden, God, Jesus turns to God, and instead of his disciples, and he prays, Father, bring glory to your name. Now, we talked when we were talking about learning how to ask. We talked about asking for exactly what you want. Because Jesus said, hey, be careful you don't cast the important things to you, your pearls. Be careful you don't cast those before swine. Don't take your needs to a bad place. Or we'll wind up like Esau who sold his birthright for beans. He said, make sure you bring that stuff to God. Ask, seek, knock. Bring those needs to God lest you allow yourself to get too hungry. And so we ask for exactly what we want, but we say, not my will, but thine be done. We, 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 we make sure we know that God's will is still better. This is not that prayer. The prayer that Jesus prays in this moment is not just surrendering to God's will because you know ultimately his will is best. This is different. This is Jesus basically taking himself out of the equation and asking God to do whatever will bring God the most glory. This is the ultimate processing prayer. I find the prayer of surrender fairly easy. Just praying, God, not my will, but thine be done. It's fairly easy because I actually do believe deep in my soul that God's will is best. That's what's going to turn out to be the best life for me. If I really want to pray selfishly, I kind of pray, not my will, but thine be done. Because I know your will for me is going to be better than, you know, if I get the things I want, I'm probably going to screw it all up and, and ruin my life. And so God... I want what's best for me, so I pray for your will. Years ago, we, uh, Esther and I were going to open a coffee shop. We'd done all the homework. We secured a business loan. We found a location. We, we tracked all the, the traffic movements in that location. It was perfect, perfect spot. And, uh, and we went out. We found suppliers. We sampled coffee. I sampled coffee. She didn't sample coffee. Um, and we really wanted this. And so we... We prayed, and we were super honest with God. And we were like, God, don't talk to us right now because we're not going to hear you. We're super emotionally engaged in this. And if you even remotely whisper, we're, like, we're not getting it. So we're going to chase this with everything we have. And if it's not from you, please shut the door. Just shut it so it can't happen because I don't trust me to hear anything 
less than a slam door right now because I really want this. And and so uh, we pursued it, and we, we found the space. We negotiated the lease. We were supposed to meet Monday morning um, to sign the lease and walk through it with an architect to make some changes to the space. And we had... Uh, there was another uh, place that wanted to lease. It was a church. What they really wanted was the backspace for an office. And they were going to put a thrift store up front. And the, the owner of the strip mall didn't really want a thrift store in the strip mall. Um, and so she, they were more secure financially, but we were more what she was looking for, a coffee shop. And so she decided to go with us. And so, uh, so Friday, we, we finished negotiating. We're going to meet Monday morning, sign papers. I call Monday morning see if there's any last-second things we need to bring. And the realtor tells us, oh, actually, she decided to sign a lease with the church this morning um, or uh, this weekend. It's gone. And uh, come to find out, the church put a coffee shop in instead of a thrift store. Uh, so they basically stole our idea and, and put a coffee shop there. And uh, so I had asked God to shut the door. That doesn't mean I didn't bang on it and kick on it for a while. Of course, I we tried other things, and it just didn't work. And, and ultimately... There was a great amount of peace in that surrender prayer of not my will, yours be done. I, I'm asking for exactly what I want. I'm pursuing it. I'm going for it. And God, please. And it wasn't just a flippant prayer like, yeah, try to stop me. It wasn't that. It was, God, please shut this door if it's not from you. We don't want something that's going to ruin our family, ruin our life. So please shut the door. And he answered it. He did. That's an easy prayer for me to pray. God, not my will, yours be done. Jesus' prayer here, though, in John is different. See, the prayer of surrender goes, I want what's best for my life. I want the best life I can have. I think that looks like door number one. But God, you know better. If door number two is better for me, I want you to give me door number two because it's better for me. That's good. But Jesus' prayer goes more like this. God, I want door number one. That seems like what's best for me. But I'm not what's important here. What's best for me is not what's important here. You pick the door that's best for your glory. That's a different prayer. The prayer Jesus prays takes a ridiculous amount of maturity. And it's something we can't do as like a cliche. This is a prayer that comes from really processing our life and surrendering our life to, this is not my story. I'm a player in God's story. His glory is what matters not my satisfaction, not my contentment, not my well-being. So the master twist is, is that this prayer um, goes far enough inward, goes far enough into our guts that we wind up going back to upward. That we go all the way into where we realize that it's not about us. We've been using the metaphor of that the scripture uses of the Holy Spirit being in us, you know, and Jesus living in our hearts. And so the location that the scripture talks about God being on earth is, is in us. And so when we pray an inward prayer, this isn't just navel gazing or, or, you know, or being self-centered or making it about us. Quite the opposite. The, the real goal of the inward journey is to realize... Um, the most amazing thing that could possibly come of our life is that it would glorify God. And, and if that means if that means that, you know, he give us a lot of great things and things turn out and that brings him glory, awesome. 
In Jesus' life, it meant the cross. And so ultimately, God, if, 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 if the cross is what brings you glory in my life, I'll go. I don't want to go. I'm not saying I'm excited to go. But I want you to be glorified because this isn't about me. While Jesus is talking to his disciples, he is the object of his prayer. He says, how should I pray? Save me? But when he shifts to God, the object changes. Father, bring glory to your name. When the desire of your heart is not about you, it's about the Father, two things happen. Number one, you are way beyond me. <laughs> I am not there yet. Number two, you're getting, you're getting really close to Jesus. This is a hard prayer, and I, I don't recommend praying this um, unless you really, really mean it. This is not a prayer you can, you can just pray um, flippantly. Don't pretend to be there if you're not. So last week we discussed the inward prayer of confession, processing our lives with God. We've added the lament and thanksgiving and the, the true glory be. Sometimes we pray, glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. It's a, it's a great prayer that God would bring glory, but the real glory be is when we go, God, take my life and use it to bring yourself glory. So how do we respond to this? Processing prayers are not easy. These are about authenticity, really being yourself. And ever since Adam and Eve wore their salads and swimsuits, we've mostly shied away from being naked and unashamed. We don't really do that anymore. So I feel the need, uh, as I encourage you to confess and lament and and pull gratitude out of the darkness, and hopefully someday find your own story decrease and God's increase. As you move toward the deep end of the pool, I feel the need to remind all of us that the water we swim in is grace. Do not make prayer legalistic. That doesn't mean we can't make it structured and rhythmic and something we do on a schedule. But don't ever let your prayer life begin to create shame in you. We're invited to the throne of God uh, through prayer because of grace. Because God was so crazy in love with you. He didn't want to be away from you. And, and so he paid the price so that we could come. God longs to be with you. And, and if you take the weight of legalism into those waters, you'll just sink. That's not what they're for. I actually read a story that I think kind of showed it best. A Christian novice once asked his spiritual director how long it would take the novice to become truly mature and comfortable in prayer. The director answered, uh, I would think about 10 years. The novice was obviously disappointed, and after a little thought, he said, but what if I really worked at it? What if I put forth tons of effort, did everything I could, and just really, really worked hard at it? Then how long would it take? And the director said, well, I guess if you went at it like that, you could probably get it down to about 30 years. Remember, we're starting with structure, like playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, so that we can 
learn. Until it's so natural, it's like breathing. And this is not something that we can allow to create shame. So I've been given homework each week, and, and we're going to do one last tweak this week. Um, for your upward prayers, uh, I, I challenge you to not make those prayers of thanksgiving. We sometimes tend to think like our upward prayers, our worship, our praise to God um, is the same as gratitude. And I don't think it should be because gratitude is still kind of about us. Like, God, you're awesome because you give me great things. And that's okay. That's a good prayer. But real upward prayers are just who God is. Just praising God for who he is. So when you see a sunset, it's, God, you are, you are incredibly creative and, and, and you use such variety and, and you're just amazing the way you've made things. So, so try to save your gratitude prayer for your processing time. Find, let your thankfulness be something you have to dig for just a little bit. Find something in your day at 6 o'clock when you're processing to, to pull out of the darkness. What good, like true good happened today? Not just that stuff that bubbles up in praise, but good. It's something you have to hunt for just a bit. So at 9 a.m. we're telling an upward prayer. We're telling God just how amazing he is. Something about God that just amazes you. Not just what he gives you, but Think about him, about his character, about his love that amazes you. Tell him that at 9 in the morning. Noon is our outward prayer. We're asking somebody. We're asking for things for us, for somebody, for somebody you don't like very much. Three is another upward prayer. Six or whenever you drive home or finish your work day. Take a minute to process your day with God. And then at 9, praise God again. These literally don't have to be more than, than like a minute long. Maybe for me, the 6 o'clock prayer, the processing prayer, takes about five minutes. It takes a a few more minutes. But consciously bring God into your day, five times a day, to work slowly through, or, yeah, to work slowly through the Lord's Prayer. I really do think it will start to change our hearts. So I'd like to close out um, with one short inward prayer. It's from the Psalms, and I'd like to pray it together. As we, uh, as we close before we do communion. So would you please uh, pray aloud with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen.